Hi, I'm Margaret Cho. You're listening to the Monsters of Talk. I'm here with my co-host. Hi, I'm Jim Short. Uh, we are back at my home in our studio. Uh, the um, week has been insane. We are now very, very tight with Capitol Records. And so <laughs> we were able to go and um, go to the building and interview Adam Duritz from the Counting Crows, which is like a really great thing because I think... Well, I think for me, like Counting Crows, it's one of those bands that I'm a huge fan, and I've been a fan for for, for since their, their their very very earliest um, gigs, like in the San, San Francisco gigs. They're in, like, a, they're the a early Bay Area 90s. band, right? They are so, they are Bay Area band. Had you heard about them while you while you were around and about? I was um I had not heard about them. I was going to see in 1992 or something. I was going to see Jellyfish, who were really really my favorite mm -hmm. and uh, they were opening for jellyfish and it was just a very um it's weird like I, I, it was weird to see them there because it was like i couldn't you you know you can't get a band past me you can't get a band past me without me knowing and i had no idea that the band especially local especially yeah in local san francisco chats. it's like yeah. i would have known like at that point like i was so like into san francisco like rock and roll like i would have known every band that was playing live and the fact that they like were like so good and so um, tight already and that they were like opening for Jellyfish I'm like oh, I can't believe they're here and I can't believe this is happening <laughs> Like, but I saw one of their first gigs and I really fell in love with them and I met Adam there and um, where was that? that was at the Warfield in San Francisco on right. Market Street legendary, um, legendary venue which in is San a great yeah. venue which I saw so many of my favorite favorite shows and, and um, they were they were incredible and after they um, played that gig with Jellyfish they just became a huge huge band and we talked to Adam a lot about it um, uh, we we I mean it's great to actually like go and do an interview inside of the Capitol building. <laughs> well, that that's the thing. It's an iconic building in Los Angeles, and it's an iconic building in rock and roll, and, yeah. and not just rock, but pop music and all music. Mm -hmm. And it's sta it towers above uh, L.A. Right, because it looks like a stack of records. Right? It's supposed to be. Is it supposed to be forty fives? Probably, yeah. I think it seems like it's supposed to be a stack of forty fives. And I've seen it forever. I, I, but you know, most people don't get to go inside there. Nobody ever Had gets ever to go in? inside. I'd never been inside, which is odd because I've been like looking at that building and kind of trolling that building forever. Because <laughs> my favorite acts were always Capital Acts, of course, the Beatles and the Beach Boys, mainly major. And then later, the Go-Go's were capital. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, later, not, not too long after that, a uh, crowded house. So um, it's, a, it's a label everybody kind of goes with for a little while. And then they sometimes go to other labels. Sometimes they stay. It's like one of those things. I mean, music record labels now are very different from the, what they used to be. Um, but in, back in the day, capital was it. You know, you would yeah. want to have a deal with that. That was like the, the one place. It would be like a major network or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's well, it's still, you know, there's still a few record labels like that. Like that's one of the mainstay ones. Yes. A lot of them sort of split up. And, you know, there's different um, uh, labels within Capitol. Yes, yes. Uh, but it ca Capitol Records is like, that's Capitol Records. It's man. Capitol Sinatra, Records. Sinatra, the Beatles. Yeah. All kinds of people have been on the there. Yeah, forever. It's yeah. just a cool thing and um so we got to go and and of course we saw the show the night before which we loved um it's great because uh, they, the counting crows now have really become such a um an institution you know they're they're almost a jam band they're almost like um 
So the, their songs become this very, very uh, creative opportunity to do something different, even. You know, another song can exist within uh, a very, very, very popular song. So that's like a cool thing. I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed seeing them live. I've, I, I've always enjoyed seeing them live, but it was like exciting to sit down and, and talk to him. Um, I, I'm not sure if like... Did you ever did you ever hear about them when you were in San Francisco or no? They were like kind of No, they'd already been established by by the time I moved out there. Okay. I remember when that album hit. It was just it was huge. huge. Yeah, it was all over the place. I left that um I had that a that song Mr. Jones, uh, you know, oh, I, yeah. I want to be Bob Dylan. He want yeah. Which always appeals to everyone, you know. He wanted to be. But I had that uh, record on cassette and it was I had rented a car in um and I had to drive across Nebraska like four times on doing these gigs. So I had like that August and everything after that cassette came out um, and I left it in the rental car. But I, and I always regretted leaving it because I was like, I really love that record. And it, it but it was... you were playing um, it up to the last second the last, of having to return the vehicle. Yeah. And forgot to and eject. And then forgot to eject. Yeah. So it's... That's, that's what, when you, remember when you'd have a, especially driving to a cassette, mm-hmm. you would just drive and you would, you would just have your cassettes with you. People forget now how hard it was to travel with music mm-hmm. i mean it was a little bit easier when you had um cds and stuff like that you could put right. a bit more on them but uh traveling with cassettes it was so bulky it was really bulky and, heavy, but, yeah. and then like the for me like the cases would always break and then you would have these like really sharp shards of plastic <laughs> like it was like really painful it was like so weird but then i feel like we used to be so much more invested in music because we spent more physical time on it, like it's cassettes and like CDs. You had to actually create an action to do with it because you couldn't just push it forward. You couldn't just like like press the advance the song. You had to do stuff. You, you had to actually deject it or something. Mm. So you you had to pay more attention to the music, or you had to spend more time with it. You had to give it more of a chance. Yeah, and people it's, don't it's, do that, and now. especially on road trips. Sometimes you'd only take a couple on a road trip, so you really—they really would be the soundtrack of that journey. Yeah. So I mean, it's—I don't know. It, it's. I think albums really did have more of um, a profound effect on people, just because we we had this like you know physical object that you couldn't manipulate so you mm-hmm. had to have the song the song was like a physical object that you had to fo- fast forward through well you really did you really did follow their vision too because you would get the song that followed the next song it was mm-hmm. their sequence whereas now even with CDs you could skip around a bit especially now when people just buy a song sometimes uh-huh. you don't get the full the full album the yeah. full, uh, you know, full LP uh, yeah. um, vision of what the artist wanted. Like, you started this song and it flows through to that, you know. Mm-hmm. I and know. I know it's weird. It's sad because, like, you don't get the full, vi- yeah, you don't get the vision. Well, especially, where, too, with cassettes because um, sometimes side A, like, if you had an automatic one, it would already, mm-hmm. it, would, it would turn itself over yeah. in the cassette player in the car. But sometimes side one would be a little bit shorter than side two. Oh, yeah. So remember there'd be that like five minutes of like just blank. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, I'll just let it go for a second because it'll probably switch over. Yeah. Then, oh, no, no. Okay, it's still going. It's still, okay, how long does this go? Then you'd have to learn to like fast forward that bit to the end. Yes. And it would do the the automatic uh, 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 turnover. It, w- it seems so advanced though when it was like when you, when even that thing where you could advance one song on a uh, cassette. And it would find that little gap. It yeah. It would be automatic. The quiet that gap. gap. Yeah. It did, like, that to me seemed like magic. That seemed like, to me, that was always like having a, a magic, like an invisible friend. Mm-hmm. 
inside. Like you drive and I'll find, I'll find the next song. And living inside of the tape player. Yeah. It seems really, really like alchemy. It seems so, like, I got really suspicious of the tape player. <laughs> like, it's okay. like, you know, very... I don't know if that's good. I, it was. I felt like I was giving the tape player too much power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, before that though, it would be. Remember, then you'd fast forward. Well, no, I'm into the other song. Yeah, no, and then you need to rewind it. And you would never exactly. You never get quite. It. Sometimes yeah. you would get really good at it though. Mm-hmm. You would just kind of like you know that's that's a special skill in its it own. Is. Advancing and rewinding a cassette tape. Not easy. This is some old time. Um, uh, discussion. I know, but for I, such I, a, for such a digital era for digital for, 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 yeah. for podcasting. I know, but I, th- it's not to say that um, that Counting Crows is old fashioned at all. I think that they're very no. We just we are we are old fashioned, but I love Counting Crows, and I I mean, it is one of those bands that are just so solid, and I, I can't. Uh, I I feel like the equivalent band would be the band. They, they, they give, I look back and I think, like, who are they? You know, if you look at, like, who in history would they want to be? And I think it would be the band. That's the only band that I can equate. Because mm-hmm. it's, like, basically um, all their, they're, they're kind of about the same size as the band. They're all, like, really, really good. Yeah. That seems like that makes sense, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. Sort of. I don't know. Is there a historical equivalent to, that's the only other band that I can think of that would be like them. But they're really good. I like them a lot. I think that they, um, I think that they, they, they really just keep on producing great work. And um, I told them that I actually am sort of in their band by proxy. I, well, this is like a very uh, um, six degrees of things, but I, I did a song with Neil Hamburger. Neil Hamburger was in a band called um, The Zip Code review and one of the guys charlie who plays the accordion and all the keyboards in can crows is also in the zip code review so we're sort of satellite mm-hmm. band like another project yeah side project that's right which i think um that's a everybody in rock and like, roll seems like to be count, counting shows counting shows Everybody seems to be in some kind of a side project, but I I believe I am in more side projects than any other. Mm-hmm. Even the rock stars we know, I think I'm in more side projects than any of them. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, um, whether they know it or not. Whether they know it or not, you're you're in a band with a lot of people. I'm in a band. Even if they're not aware of they it, they may not be aware of it. Oh, but then if they're prompted, they would go, "Oh yeah, we are." Mm-hmm. They go, "Oh oh oh oh." Well, <laughs> rockers, they don't know. They don't remember. Nobody remembers. Um, but we had a great conversation with Adam Duritz. Um, he is so fun and lovely, and and what a great what a great singer and what a great lyricist. And um, here's our conversation. Great show last night. Thank you. Oh, you're there. Last we night? were there. Cool. Cool. I was at your first gig. I believe I was at your first gig, and you could tell me if I was wrong. I'm wrong. Um, it was opening for Jellyfish in San Francisco at the Warfield. I also met you in the lobby after the show and it was probably 92 93 i'm not gonna tell you you're wrong you weren't there i wasn't well you would know if you were there so i'm not gonna was, say you no, weren't that's, there that's the gig i was at oh well you were but there i was there but i wasn't know if that i don't know if that was your first no it's not our first gig it, there was a feeling but i love that gig that was a great gig mostly because they were incredible mm-hmm. jellyfish was amazing I, I used to I, I remember going to see them on the first record me and emmer went to see them and we had the record and we were like wow they're just such a great band they're not going to do that stuff live because nobody can pull off those harmonies live with four people. It's impossible. And then we went mm-hmm. to see them play and they were just, it was incredible. Yeah. yeah. Well, you guys were incredible also. And for me, it was exciting because it was like, oh, here's this 
we, you know, we were so excited to see Jellyfish, but then there's this other band, like, and I remember the the opening sort of thing for um, Round Here, and it was like, very similar to Last Night, and that feeling, and that, and it was even, even though the crowd didn't know the song in 1992 or whenever, they knew it in our heart, we knew it. Like, it was like, hearing those those notes, it was like this call to action. That song worked. <laughs> it worked early on. It worked really well. Does it always, it, is it always that you always open with it? No, no, no. Just uh, some days. We open different songs. We open with uh, Recovering Satellites sometimes. This summer, we've mostly opened with either Round Here or Sullivan Street. Oh, but yeah. We've done a few with, with uh, Time and Time Again, too, I think. And mm-hmm. we did One Night with Anna Begin. We open with different songs all the time. It's beautiful. And I love all of the, the different um, verses that you come in with, you know, and then you reinvent the song. As it goes along? It's funny because I've always like wanted to use that middle section to like write new stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because this on this record, uh, I was doing this whole come outside, climb out your bedroom thing last summer. Mm -hmm. And that turned into a bunch of what is now the song Palisades Park, which starts off the new record. Oh, yeah. But a lot of that idea was developed in round here. So lately I've been sort of like throwing the come outside Palisades Park in before the other come outsides around here and. And then we bring it back later in the concert when we play Palisades Park. But mm. I've always wanted to use those middle sections to like work up new material. And often it's just really cool stuff, but mm-hmm. I didn't, I wouldn't put it in a song. But in, in right. this time, it actually turned into Palisades Park. It's awesome. Yeah. It's a great place to, because uh, you, you can, you can like kind of expound on this poetry. You can get into like this lyrical space of like the, uh, you know, this is like the perfect place. It'll just channel through you. you yeah, it, it's sort of a, I mean, you have to have a band that can, turn left when you go left right which is but you know we've made it from the beginning in this band it is really important to listen right. because i'm gonna go somewhere and if i if you're not there i'm screwed and you're screwed too mm-hmm. so you know so everyone's really good about that in this band yeah and then so the, what what is the origin of the band like we're we're because we're from the bay area we're from san francisco and then I didn't. I didn't know. Uh, we, you, you. I guess you're Berkeley. I thought. I assumed Emeryville, in my mind, <laughs> that you guys sprung from the other cafe in Emeryville. Oh no, Where I was. You? We were in Berkeley. Most of us. I mean, at that point, some of the guys lived in San Francisco. I guess Dan was over in San Francisco. I was in Berkeley. Dave Bryson was in Berkeley or Oakland. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emmer was in Berkeley for sure. Emmer's the only one of us that's born and bred in Berkeley. He might be the only person actually born and bred in Berkeley. <laughs> mm-hmm. But. uh you know, we were just kind of, we, but we, you know, we were very much, Charlie was over in San Francisco. We, it was kind of a band formed by different versions of Counting Crows where like there were a few of us. And then it's also a band formed with our friends that we played gigs with in San Francisco who mm-hmm. were in other bands. And we got together to do some recording with all of our favorite guys and yeah. liked it. And so we stayed together. Mm-hmm. You know, I just remember when you were like opening for Jellyfish and then suddenly... They're the biggest band in the world. Like suddenly, it was like so. August and everything after, like the it, the speed where it became this huge record. It was faster than Nevermind. It was faster than Nir- I remember Nirvana playing the Warfield, and you know, like it, it, it's even taking longer. But Qu- Counting Crows plays the Warfield, and it was like huge right away. Did you feel that it was right away? No, it's about it because it's got to be like a year or two later. Mm-hmm. I mean. Even when the record came out, which is like the end of 93, so probably about a year after that gig. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Mr. Jones was on the charts really by that Christmas, but 
the record wasn't even in the top 200. It, what really did was like the next year, like in January of the next year, so about four months after the record came out, we played Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. And they booked us when we weren't even in the top 200. Mm-hmm. And the record jumped. We played Round Here. Yeah. You know, it's that, that song to me was what I wanted to expose people to for the band. Mm-hmm. And the record dropped, jumped 40 spots a week for five weeks. But we were 213 or something when we played Saturday Night Live. Right. And then we were... Uh, 170 130 90 something 50 something 12 6 2 mm-hmm. you know and, and it just really happened from from that but it, you know so f- there's probably about a year and a half between that warfield gig and uh maybe even a little more i don't know and you're living it every day in a van so it seems like you know time is not passing quickly in that van when you're driving to you and know. it's a big band too for yeah. a van tour it's like, wait, there's like six of you. Yeah, huh? there were five or six of us then, yeah. Yeah. That's a Seven s- now. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty sizable band, but now you've got a bunch of buses, I think. Just Hopefully. two. Two. We split into two buses a, a few, like a long time ago now, but. Yeah. It was, otherwise, we were going to kill each other. But it's, it's, it's in a phenomenal show, you know? I love that it's, um, for me, it's like a typical summer show. That's like where you want to go see Crown and Crows in the summer. I would. That's like a perfect thing, you know? It's a, what we seem to do mostly tour America in the summer. Yeah. Um, we go overseas in other seasons. We used to play a lot of colleges in other seasons here. Mm-hmm. But lately we've been going to like Europe and we seem to always go to Europe in the winter. But that's good. It's a good. dreary time. It's a dreary time, but then you're representing America. I feel like this is like it, you've actually become or are the quintessential American band. I mean, the best American band. I want to say that's very few people that can do that. Usually these American bands break up. Well, we may just be the last surviving one. Maybe the yeah. the the most um, I don't know mature. You're able to get along enough to, you know, hold it together. You got to do it for the fans. They love it. Well, we just you know I mean I really like being in a band. Mm-hmm. I never really wanted to be a solo artist. It just didn't interest me. I like the jazz of being in a band. Yeah. I like the interaction. Uh, and so we made that a priority from the beginning. Uh, just how to how to survive as a band, how to make yeah. sure that everyone was okay all the time. Mm-hmm. Cause I think it's really easy to, I mean, I see how bands get screwed up. It's not yeah. that hard to do. It's like, it's very easy to do the math and for one person to absolutely justify, okay, this says I should get more, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, it doesn't matter if your math is right, if it doesn't leave enough for everyone else to survive on mm-hmm. or, or everyone else to be happy on. So you can either do your math as a priority or you can like, think of the band as a priority but we always sort of tried to make it about that about the band and so we didn't run into a lot of those problems because i saw so many friends of mine bands like explode Mm -hmm. or implode is probably a better word for it while they just did absolutely correct and logical math yeah Yeah. you know and they just could not get their head around you know it looks like i deserve more right so i should probably get that and but then after a while it's like you get things like jealousy you get frustration Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have a lot of that going on in our band because we really made an effort not to have it, which is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's not like we're all best friends all the time. We, we would kill each other given the chance. But I think but. my theory is that everybody's so good. Every, you know, your band is everybody's so good at the, the the specific task that they do. Everybody is like the best at the specific task that they do. Like you have the best <laughs> of the best. So. Well, sort of, but like you have to be in the studio with us for a day to find out how much different people <laughs> suck on a given day. Like, I mean, well, it's like, it's brutal in there because there's a lot of work that goes into being able to get there. Yeah. Some guys in the band play really easily, mm-hmm. really creatively. Some guys do not at all. Yeah. But they come through, you know, like, 
Immer's really a comfortable guitar player. He mm. he can he's so good that he can play any instrument. He can play it all the time. He can hold the whole body of a song together while soloing at the same time, and it's it's really incredible to watch. You know, yeah. he, and and like you don't have to push him much. He's pushing himself. You know, mm-hmm. Dan on the other hand isn't that way at all. He 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 gets. He's a very talented guitar player who like freezes up sometimes and mm-hmm. it does it's not quite as easy for him but and you have to kick him mm-hmm. i mean you have to kick his ass over and over again you have to beat him up it's brutal in the studio with him sometimes because he he throws himself in the front of a song whereas emerald is willing to hold the body down sometimes and not but dan wants to be lead guitar yeah but you put him in the front and then he can't quite do it and so you have to kill him mm-hmm. and it's these long days of brutalizing dan that are just <laughs> really unpleasant Aww. for everyone but he comes through in the yeah. end you know in a different way and like and when you see him now, he's mm-hmm. got those parts, and you know, you have no idea what he went through to get mm-hmm. there, because and what we went through to get it out of him. Yeah, I mean, we beat the living crap out of him. It's mm-hmm. incredibly unpleasant, <laughs> and uh, you know, but he gets there. You know, the thing is that none of this comes easily, mm-hmm. even for like a band that's been together a long time. Right. Guys have brutal because you're demanding a lot of everyone. You want mm-hmm. the most they can possibly do, and sometimes that comes with severely beating the crap out of them right and you have to because that's how you get a really good record yeah because you know the truth is you don't Immer will drive himself mm-hmm. i will drive myself uh and dan will too but you also have to kill him but then he comes up with something that's just it's just he's written so many signature lines for our band mm-hmm. you know and he's gone through hell to get them because yeah. we put him through it yeah you know and that's the way it's like you know when we started this record jim is a great p- drummer but mm-hmm. he's you know he comes from a very classically trained background. His father's played 30 years in the San Francisco Symphony as a trumpet player. And, uh, you know, he sometimes is so used to being a professional that he doesn't let go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and when we went into the studio to start this record, his wife was just about to have a baby. I mean, she was due any day. Mm-hmm. And we were really desperate to get in there and finish a song or two because then we could work on some stuff without him. Just get the drum tracks at least, just to get the basics for something. Because... We, we knew we had God of Ocean Tides, which wasn't going to have drums on it. So we could always record that without him. But you don't want to spend that the first week because that's there for you to work on later if somebody needs a break or something. So mm-hmm. we start working on this record. And the first two days, we're working on dislocation. And Jim is playing really well. And so what? It's just it's just not inspired. It's great. He's a fantastic drummer. It's, it's perfect. But it, it, I don't care. And mm-hmm. it can't go on the record like that. You know, mm-hmm. it just can't. And we spend two days with him, and Brian, our producer, comes to me and he says, I think we need to just let Jim go. That baby's due any second now. Mm. He clearly can't think, and we just let him go work on something else, and we're, it's starting to be diminishing returns. Yeah. And I was like, well, you tell him, because I don't want to get into that shit with him. He'll yeah. lose his temper. Brian goes and tells him. Jim comes back. He's like screaming. He's like, he's so angry. Yeah. And uh, he comes back in. There's like, his face is all red, and he's just like, let's go the play it again. I'm not screwing this up. Like, well, you are kind of screwing it uh-huh. up right now. But it's okay. You're about to have a baby. Just like yeah. go. It's like, oh, God damn it, I'm not going. Like, this is embarrassing. And so he goes back in there. He's furious. And all of a sudden, he just like crushes dislocation. Mm-hmm. It takes him two takes. It's amazing. Now it's like frenetic and wild and furious and everything it needs to be. Not perfect. Um, and, and it's just great. And he comes out. And I'm like, oh, what have you been doing for the last two days? He's like, fuck you. <laughs> let's, let's do another one right now let's do something what's loud let's do Elvis went to Hollywood now fuck you fuck you too and then he goes back in there and he drills Elvis went to Hollywood and then he's like fine I'm done I'm going and he leaves and 
His wife has a baby the next morning or that <laughs> night. It was like, and we had all this stuff to work on without him. So he, but he calls like eight hours later. He's like, well, we had a baby. Uh, it's so beautiful. It's great. I could come back in now. Like, uh, no, I think you should stay out there. He's like, well, that's okay. I'm, you know, I'm not getting any sleep anyways. They don't need me out here. I'm like, yeah, screw you. <laughs> you. You stay a couple days just to keep your marriage together. We'll see you in a couple days. Yeah. So he, he came back later. But, you know, it's it took that, you know, even Ooh. for Jim, who's such a pro. Mm-hmm. But being a pro and making a record are two totally different things in mm-hmm. some ways. Yeah. He was He's very used to being perfect. Mm-hmm. But we didn't need that. We yeah. wanted something different. Yeah. Something inspired, soul. you know? Some soul. Yeah. And he, you know, but it, it you go through shit getting that stuff. Cause, it's true. You know, nobody's really at that level all the time, you know, so. But the song um, is great. And the album, I mean, I'm excited. It's coming out September 2nd under Wonderland. Mm-hmm. S- September 2nd. And I mean, it's it's got soul. It's got that power and it's got your gorgeous voice. It's got some amazing imagery. I mean, I think this is an exciting record. Now are you going to do more tour dates? Uh, you just did 40. So you're going to do more now? Yeah, well, I think we're going to... Um do a show in New York right before the record comes out, and then we'll play a bunch of TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I'm going to go over to Europe to do press for a little bit because the record comes out two weeks later over there. Yeah. Uh, and then we're going over there with the whole band in November mm-hmm. to tour Europe. And then we'll come back, probably go South America and the Southern Hemisphere in the spring. Oh, good. Oh, good. I imagine we'll just come back here in the summer or maybe before that. I don't know. At the moment, it's sort of like... I'd like to go over to Europe and play some festivals in the early part of the summer and mm-hmm. then come back here and do a tour. Yeah. Um, and we've got lots of gigs somewhere. Well, we'll ahead catch of us. up. We'll catch up with you along the way. I mean, Thank I mean, you. I've enjoyed seeing. I've seen you so many times over the last twenty years, and so I'm like, it's it's weird to sit here and talk to you because I'm like seeing you so much. So it's nice too. But I like. I'll, I'll, I'll see. You, I'll go back to the play. I'll go back to my seat in the stadium. <laughs> <laughs> we'd, we'd like everyone to go back to the stadium at we, some point. We'd like to get back to the stadium. Yes, a, but you're 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 wonderful, and you're beautiful last night. And the uh, the album is going to be. I mean, I've I've actually listened to it, but the world is going to love it. I hope so. Uh, you never really know. It's weird. It's a weird thing. I, we've made a lot of records, and sometimes the whole world embraces it, and sometimes nobody does. And it, it's just really hard to tell before it comes out. I've sort of stopped like expecting things out of that but i really love this record and people poured out to come see shows this summer so it'll be great if i mean i would love it it just would be be really fun we've never really stopped playing so you should never stop yeah well we don't really have a lot of other job prospects at this point (laughs) i'm glad for that you shouldn't you shouldn't you should always always do this always make music we're all fairly unemployable except for this one job this is the best job though well thank you so much Adam. thanks thank you for coming out thank you that was our conversation with Adam Duritz from The Counting Crows. The album is called Under Wonderland, and it is out September 2nd. And um, it's just amazing. I mean, I, I, I think that this is a great band, and they continue to do great work. And um, if you have a chance, get the album. Get get to go see them live. They, they're really incredible. You can reach me at Margaret Cho on Twitter. You can reach both of us at... Monsters of Talk. Where can they reach you? At Jimmy Shelter. You can reach um, both of us at Monsters of Talk, but you can also listen to us Mondays on SoundCloud and iTunes. Um, please leave us a review. Please watch us on YouTube. YouTube.com slash Monsters of Talk. Uh, some great little videos on there from uh, our past adventures. Yes, and um, we, uh, we we just have lots of stuff coming up. Uh, really great, great, uh, great, great episodes coming. So, um, I don't know. Tune in. We love our listeners. We'll talk to you next time.